You know, last week, Evan Nave had preached, and he had talked about the urgency that it takes to really fulfill the needs and help people out right then in the immediacy. He used the parable of the Good Samaritan, a story that Jesus had told uh, about a man that was hurt and injured on the side of the road, and then two people came across that injured man, and it was the two people in the story that you think should help but didn't help. They were religious leaders. One guy was called a priest. The other guy was called a Levite. And those were men that were set apart to honor God and to serve God and use their talents and skills for God. But they just passed right by that guy. And that sermon had ended. The service concluded. And myself and a group of others all got in our cars in a caravan to the Vincennes campus to go and lend a hand there. Many of them were like the Levites. They were servants. And then there was me, I guess the priest. And we all hopped in the car and we left. And there was just a a caravan of cars. And we made our way there. And then we noticed that who we were also with, a, a couple by the name of Scott and Kara Arms, Scott wasn't with us, and we just didn't know where he was. Kara was, but Scott wasn't. We know she, he like just disappeared on the road or what had happened. And uh, we said, Kara, where's your husband? Uh, Kara is our children's pastor at the Vincennes campus. And she says, you know, Scott uh, saw a motorist who was stranded with a flat tire. The rest of you guys didn't see him, but he did. And uh, <laughs> he pulled over to help. But since she was, had to get to the campus so quickly as a children's pastor, she said, Scott, we can't pull over and help. i got to go do ministry. He said, no, we're pulling over. And uh, she decided she was going to like thumb a ride, flag down a car, and get there by herself. I love that part of the story. About 20 minutes later, Scott comes into the campus commons area, and uh, he finds me. He finds the group of Levites that were there with me. And uh, he just hollers to the commons, the priest passed by, the Levites passed by, but the good Samaritan Scott Arms stopped. <laughs> yeah, I felt about that tall, you know. You ever have those moments? Yeah. You know, where you know you should do the right thing, but you just don't do it because, after all, you got a schedule. After all, you got something that you have to do. And this summer, we're talking about the urgency. We're talking about the urgency of getting needs met, the needs that are right in front of you. If there's a problem person there in front of you, you know the problem, meet the need. If there's a hurt right in front of you, help to to heal it. So we kind of summed it up with this little simple, simple teaching. Here's what the teaching is. Find a need and help to fill it. Find a need and help to fill it. Find a hurt and help to heal it. Pretty simple, right? I mean, this is like really simple, basic Jesus stuff, Christian stuff. And I know how it gets, though, we become kind of apathetic to the hurt and the pain that surround us. And I thought Evan did such a good job explaining that last week, that the news can be on a cycle, and we just kind of get desensitized to the cycle, and we get desensitized to the pain and the hurt and the needs and, and all the hurt that is around us. And actually, we get to the point where we get overwhelmed, and there's actually a psychological condition for this. It is just simply called overwhelmed paralysis, where we just are done. We just check out. We just, I can't help. I don't want to help. I don't know how to help. And so we're we're paralyzed because of the pain that's all around us and also the pain that's in our life or the problems that are all around us and some of the problems that we have in our life. And we just say, you know what? There's just too much going on. And what happens in overwhelmed paralysis, we just shut, shut down and we just work on us. We just say, there's no more time for me. When I get me right, then I can help others. You ever heard that line before? You're like, yeah, I said that one a couple weeks ago. That is like so far beyond where Jesus wants us to be. And so here we are, and we're like, okay, how do we help? How do we bring help to this world that is filled with problems and pains when we're overwhelmed with paralysis? Because we say things like, I would like to help, but I don't have the time. Or I'd like to support it, I just don't have the money. Or we'd say things like, I'd like to go the extra mile for my neighbor, but I am just like, seriously, I'm just spent. 
I'm not going to take a survey in the room, but like, how many of you are emotionally, physically, mentally just exhausted, like spent? Like you, someone comes to you and you're thinking, that's the last thing I'm going to do is help you. Like, if, boy, if, and really what we're thinking is, if anybody needs help, it's me. If anybody needs the dollar difference, it's me. If anybody needs, you know, it's, it's me that's going to need the help here. I mean, if we're going to get real honest about it, because I'm just overwhelmed by paralysis. And what we typically do when we're overwhelmed, this is what I do, my confessions of a pastor. I, I, I push it on to someone else. Like, here's the problem. This person's come to me. I, well, here's, here's, here's kind of what we say. Here's kind of the thinking. Not my problem. You ever used that one before? Like, not, this is not my problem. I'm not going to deal with this right now. I'm just going to push this off. Or actually, some, some of us just act like we pretend the problem doesn't exist. And, and there is a psychological condition for this. We're messed up. It's called the bystander effect. This is the idea that someone else is just going to get the job done. Someone else is going to do what is right in front of me to do. Someone else is going to handle this problem. Someone else is going to fill the need. Someone else is going to help the hurt. Somebody else is going to get this done because after all, and we, hear, and we rationalize. I've, I've done this. You've done this. We rationalize. I'm not equipped to do this. Or we say something like, they don't want me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not qualified. They don't want me to step in there. Or, or we say things like, this is not really even an emergency. I don't know what the big deal is. It's, it's the bystander effect. The most common or the, the, the most uh, high, highly exampled bystander effect scenario came about in 1964 in uh, New York City. A young lady was coming home from work one night, and she came to her apartment, the front part of her apartment complex, when a man had robbed her, raped her, and then murdered her, while 38 people witnessed the entire event, but did nothing, did nothing. And so police wondered why no one did anything after they took the statements from 38 different witnesses that saw the scenario fold out. And it wasn't that they were uncompassionate, it really wasn't. It wasn't that they were unconcerned as this woman screamed for help numerous times. They all said the same thing. I thought my neighbor was going to call the police. I was waiting for my neighbor to step in. I was waiting for someone else to intervene and help this woman who was in crisis, who was in her problem. The, the bystander effect. So it's this idea of diffusion of responsibility. It's not, I know I see it, but that's not, that's not my problem. That's, certainly other people see the problem. And they'll, they'll help. Certainly that person will find help. Maybe in the church it should be called the pew-sitter effect. Like I've got this uh, friend that has done this unique thing in Louisville, Kentucky. He ministers to a church over 4,000 some people. And they put together this little phrase that has turned into like kind of a, a whole motto that's turned into a mission. And it's just called Love the Ville. I love that for Louisville. Love the Ville. They've encouraged their congregation to go out and find the need and fill it, find the hurt, help heal it, and they've done really good at it. But he said there's still, there's still some people in the congregation that haven't caught it yet. They're able to see the need, but they don't fill it. They're able to find the hurt, but they don't help heal it. As a matter of fact, he said what they really do is they try to push it off, and they, they call the church office, and they'll say, hey, pastor, uh, I have found this person who really needs the church help, and so he has... Uh, encouraged his full staff that when someone like that calls in and says, hey, I found somebody with a need and the church needs to do something about it, to remind that person on the phone, well, what are you going to do about it? Because you are the what? Church. 
And it's not intended to be some kind of a slap in the face. It's intended to be a reminder of the bystander effect that when you are faced with someone who has a need, meet the need, have some urgency. When you're faced with someone who has some hurt, help the best you can to heal that hurt, the person's right in front of you. And it's like this real simple teaching. Like when we're tempted to say, someone ought to do something about that, guess what? You're the someone. Like you're the someone that God has sent. You're the someone that God has sent to that person's problem. You're the someone that God has sent to help fulfill the need. You're the someone that God has, has sent to help heal the hurt the best way you can. Hey, we can really understand this better in Luke chapter 10. Turn there with me. Uh, Jesus has this moment in ministry where he emphasizes this teaching and he wants to send out some of his followers. Now, mind you, this is not the apostles. This is not the 12 that were close to him. These are 72 different people that are just followers of Jesus. They're just normal people. They don't, they don't even give us their names. It's just 72 people that Jesus hand selects and says, would you please go and do this for me, and we're about ready to be encountered with what Jesus is asking them to do. Luke chapter 10, let's start in verse 1, and then we're just going to skip around a little bit from there. It says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Did you catch, did you catch some of that language there? Jesus had not been to these villages yet. He hadn't been to these towns yet. So he's asking 72 people to go out two by two. They have a buddy, It's a buddy system. He's asking them to go to villages and towns where he hadn't been yet. So that's to say that they probably had heard about Jesus, but they had never experienced Jesus. And there's a difference there. They never experienced Jesus' powerful authority and humble teaching that was mixed with love and truth. They never, they never experienced Jesus' uh, powerful miracles on display to prove that he truly is the Son. They'd never seen that before. They heard of that before, but they'd never seen that before. And so Jesus is telling these 72, you go and you go, you're going to be Jesus. You're going to be me. You're going to, this is as close as they're ever going to get to me. You're going to be that. Look at verse two. He told them the harvest is plentiful. You've heard this before, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. The harvest and is, a, is a kind of a way to talk about that there are people out there that are lost souls that there needs to be people that are to evangelize to these lost people and welcome them into the kingdom. Now, I wasn't there when Jesus gave his command, but I, I know how people work. And I think a lot of people that were there in that moment were thinking, oh, good, thank goodness, God just got me off the hook here. Like, I don't need to go. I need to pray. I need to pray. Like, I'd rather pray than go. I'd rather pray than fulfill someone's need. I'd rather pray than have to give of my time, of my treasure, of my talent. I'd rather pray than do that. I'm sure these people are like, yeah, Jesus, good idea. Let's just kind of hang out here a little bit. Like, it's comfortable here. Let's hang out here. Let's not go there. Let's just pray for people because it seems like an overwhelming task. Big harvest coming. Let's just pray for more workers. Let's pray for more servants, and then they can get the job done. We'll pray they can go and do. And then Jesus turns it on them in verse 3, and he says, go, go. Uh-oh. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is going to be treacherous. You're going to put your life in jeopardy to do this. This is not going to be an easy task. So I'm asking you to do two things. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to go. Wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just told us that this task is so big that we're going to need more. It's like already we're, we're not, we don't have the resources, Jesus. Yeah, I know. Pray and go. 
And Jesus is teaching them. Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is teaching you. It's not enough just to pray. Friends, it's not enough just to go. It's two things. It's pray and it's go. I love what R.C. Sproul, a theologian, had to say about this. He said, to pray without action is hypocrisy. <laughs> to act without prayer is it's pagan. We're going to pray and go, guys. We're going to pray for more workers, but, but that's not going to stop us from doing the work. We're going to pray as if God will fulfill all of our needs, and we're going to go like the burden is solely on our shoulders. That's what we're going to do. Look at verse 4. Jesus tells them, don't take a purse, don't take a bag, don't take sandals, and don't greet anybody on the road. Jesus, here, this is the expression of urgency. Like, you don't have time to pack a bag. Okay, you're going to get there to where you need to be, and you're going to find out you didn't bring the sunscreen, okay? That's the way this is going to work. You're not going to pack a bag. You don't have time for this. There's people that are in crisis. There's people that are in need. There's people that need me, and I'm sending you to go. I'm sending you to serve. You're the person that they need, not someone else. I'm sending you. Oh, and by the way, don't even stop off at a friend's house. Like, a friend's house might be on the way. You don't have time for that nonsense. They need you now. And I love how Jesus says, don't bring any money with you. I think it's an interesting little phrase. What Jesus is actually saying is, yeah, money ain't going to solve this. Man, I, that's how I work. That's how I work. That's how I work. Money in my life comes and it goes. Man, to us, money can solve a lot of things. Like, how much is this going to take to get you away from me right now? Ten bucks? How many cookies do I need to buy until you're satisfied not to come back to me for another year. How, how many, how much, what do I need to write down here as, as how many laps I'll sponsor? So you just go, $10,000? What, what's it going to take? Jesus says, no, money's not going to solve this. You're going to have some face-to-face -face interactions with some people that are in need, and they need you to show up, and they need, to be, they need you to be very real to them. You're going to be the only Jesus they're going to meet. Look at verse 8. That's what Jesus ultimately is going to say to them. Look at verse 8. Skip down there. Jesus says, when you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what's offered. Like, your needs will be met if you just go. If you go, God will supply all your needs. Like, so don't worry about the money stuff. Don't worry about the time and the talent. Because a lot of us say, I don't have the time to help. I don't have the money to help. I don't have the talent to help. But God says, are you kidding me? I'm all that you need. You got me. It's me, you. Go. Just Go. God will supply. Now look at verse 9. Here's the daunting task. Heal the sick. What? Heal the sick who are there and tell them, and I love this line, and unfortunately, guys, I did you a disservice. Today, this morning, God just nailed that phrase on my head. The kingdom of God has come near to you. I don't think I did it justice. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And he tells his followers, like, just start healing people. They'd never done that. I mean, it's like Jesus showing up and saying, hey, guys, um, this group over here, you're going to Good Sam, and you're going to go to the ICU, and you're going to heal all those that are sick. This group here, you're going to Jasper. This group here, you're going to, to Davies, and, and you're just going to heal. Everybody, and you're, what are you going to say? Yeah, that ain't happening, right? Like, or, or, Jesus, what happens if I step out in faith, and I, like, do whatever healing thing I need to do. I don't know if that's rubbing the hands together or what we do here. And we kind of do this thing and we pray and nothing happens. Like, that's humiliating. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're going to go and you're going to heal these people. And here's the thing. Check out the line. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That's what you're going to tell them. When you heal them and they see this amazing power, you're going to say, God was just in your presence. No, he wasn't. You were. Oh. You were the ambassador of God. They were as close to Jesus as they were ever going to get because you showed up. Jesus sends out these followers, and he's like, you guys are going to have these face-to-face moments with people, and you're going to have these overwhelming problems, and you're going to want to have overwhelming paralysis. You're even going to sit there and say, oh, the bystander effect is going to set in someone else's problem, not my problem. God says, no, go. Go and pray. Go pray heal. Go pray help. That's what you're to do. And they're probably sitting there saying, I don't know how to heal. He's saying, go pray heal. Go anyway. Go. Go. Now. Go. Right now. Go. Don't take your purse. Don't take your sandals. God, we need shoes. No, you don't need shoes. You're going to rely on me. That's what you're going to do. When's the, when is the last time that you all stepped out and said, I, I can't meet this need, but I'm going to rely on God and I'm going to step out and try my best? When has that happened? When's the last time that you stopped rationalizing why you shouldn't help and just said one reason why you should help because my God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches? When is the last time that we had a sense of urging and say, God has sent me, sent me to serve? God has sent me to be the one that helps. God has sent me to be the one that heals. And though I don't feel qualified, God has qualified me. I love the motto of a pastor named John Wesley, awesome preacher in the 1700s. Here's his motto, great motto, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Yeah, what... The motto of John Wesley was, I'm going to just continue to serve. I'm going to continue to give. I'm just going to pour myself out. I may not have all the time, the talent, and the riches. I may not have all that, but I certainly know what I've been called to do. I've been sent to serve. I'm not going to wait for someone else. I am the someone that God has sent. Friends, that's how we should be living. That's how Jesus, that's how Jesus lived. And for these 72, they're like, no problem, let's go. And they go. And they go. They come back and they say, hey, we weren't able to do all the miracles that we thought we could do, but we went. Like, we weren't able to fulfill every need, but we, we, we went and we did what you asked us to do. You know why they did that? Because they saw Jesus doing that. Jesus wasn't asking them to do something that he wasn't willing to do for himself. You see, they watched Jesus over a progression of time continually help everybody that came along his path and wanted help, who healed everyone who came along his side and wanted healing. Like, all you have to do is backtrack. Just go back to the, the, the chapter 5 of the book of Luke that we're in. If you still have it open, you're going to see that Jesus, he reaches out and he heals a man who has leprosy, a, a disease that is just rotting the skin off of their bones. They're slowly dying. And because of that disease, the community at the time would press them out outside of the outskirts of town. So, like, you don't get your friends anymore. You can't visit with them because you've been ostracized. You can't hang out with family anymore because you've been pushed aside. Friends, you can't go to the temple and worship anymore. You're not allowed at church anymore because of this disease that you had no control over. But since you have it, you're now a nobody. And who showed up to the nobodies? The greatest somebody that had ever existed. And Jesus says, you guys have all pushed them aside. You cast them out like they're worthless people, but not to me. They're not worthless and that one leper in Luke chapter 5, Jesus not only restores that man's health, and just so you're aware, Jesus didn't come to, to make us healed physically. 
No, no, the word there is Jesus made that man complete. He made him whole is the actual translation. That Jesus not only healed his body, here's the other things he healed. His soul and his spirit. He united him with God that day. Isn't that awesome? Not just physical help. Jesus brought spiritual help. How about the next story that you find there in Luke 5 and following? There's a man who has a paralysis, some kind of, of, of palsy, and they, his friends bring him to Jesus. And they have to climb up on the rooftop and they have to dig a hole in the roof and they lower their friend right in front of Jesus on this mat. Now Jesus is in the middle of a great teaching. Jesus is a master teacher. Now if that were here, I'd say, hang on a second, I got about 20 more minutes of my sermon, then we'll take care of this. Like you've been paralyzed for 20 years, what's 20 more minutes? Not Jesus. Huh. He puts the brakes on. He's like, I know I got one more point in conclusion, maybe a poem, but listen, we're going to, we're going to. This guy is in need. He's been brought before me right here. We're going to stop him. What does he do? He starts with the spiritual condition first. Notice that. Your sins are forgiven. You can now be reunited to God. That's soul and spirit stuff. And then he says, I see you can't walk. Why don't you pick up your mat and walk? And the guy gets up and he walks. And Jesus, Jesus never pushed anybody away that was looking for his help ever once. And man, if the most important person who has ever lived, will ever live, always had time and room and energy for people that probably didn't deserve it, why can't I? Why can't I follow in the dust of my rabbi? Why can't I walk like Jesus walked? Why can't I just set aside in my schedule the things that I think are important? Just say, not important, you're important because Jesus has placed you in my path, and your problem has become my problem, and though I may not be able to fill it fully or heal it fully, I am for sure going to do my best. And Jesus had this, this motto, the Son of Man, that's how he titled himself. The Son of Man came not, what, to be served, but to serve, to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like, I didn't come to be the king of kings that sits on the throne so you can serve me. I came the king of kings to get off the throne so with my power and my authority and my might and my supply, I can serve you with my resources. Isn't that awesome? Friends, think about the greatest teachers you've ever had in your life, the greatest teachers. Mine was a third grade teacher, Miss Patterson. You know why she was the greatest teacher? Because she knew how to serve her class. Think about the greatest doctor you've ever had. The greatest doctor, probably knew how to best to serve her patients. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest in this world, if you want to, you want to be really admired, if you want to leave a legacy, if you really want to make an impact, a splash in this world, whew, you can't shoot to think you're going to be the highest one on the top. No, no, you've got to start living low, and you've got to start serving like Jesus has shown us to serve. Friends, this is what this boils down to. Like, I, I want you to walk away today understanding that the most fundamental thing you can do in your faith is serve others. And the more you get close to Jesus, the more you'll know how to do that better. But to serve others, and if you're not serving others and you call yourself a Christian, boy, you've missed out on the most fundamental, foundational parts of the faith, and that is to, to love others as God loves us. And what did God do? God served us. He gave himself as a ransom for us. He served. Here's what God's teaching me. I think here's what God's teaching us. Is that, I'll just, I just need to make a commitment today that 
that I'm going to place I'm going to place service over my status. Not about what I want in this world, but about what God wants for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we're God's handiwork, that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that, that he has advanced or he has prepared for us. Did you know that God has prepared some good works for you to do? Don't miss out on them. I'm sure there's a whole lot of blessing when you, when you do what's been laid ahead for you to do in God's sovereignty. You know, you were created to serve other people. That's why God created you to serve other people. Friends, you weren't created to consume. You were created to contribute. That's how God has created you. That's how he has set you up. And did you know that that the people that are the most fulfilled in life are the ones that pour out of their life to others? I mean, every single study shows us that the happiest people, the joyful people, are the ones that just continually give. They continually have an outpouring of what they are and who they are and what they have to other people. Like, they're not afraid to hold back, and they're not afraid to say, Yes, to someone who is in need. You know why that is? Because God has designed us to serve our fellow man. And when you start to serve, you are at the heart of what God has designed you to be. I love Job. Job had this crisis time in life, right? Terrible time in life, this awful time in life. And, and Job looks up to the heavens and he said, you know what, God, I'm figuring out. You have shaped me. You have designed me. You have shaped me to serve. <laughs> you know, Job needed some joy in life. And where did he find the joy? I'm just going to start serving some of you are like, well, what's the shape stuff? Well, Rick Warren has laid it out pretty good. He's used the word shape as an acronym. He says, we all have spiritual gifts. If you're a believer, you've got some spiritual gifts. That helps to form what you can do and who you can help and how you can help. Heart is a passion. Every one of us has a passion. Like, what is God laying on your heart to do? I mean, for my wife and I, it's foster care. Like, we want to, to rescue every child we can. We just can't, though, right? But we want to. So what has God laid on your heart to do? What abilities do you have to get it done? Well, I've, I've got two arms. That's why I can't raise every child in the United States. I only have so many good abilities. I only have so much I can offer. And there's that personality. God's developed that personality, strange as it might be in you. God has developed it so you can meet somebody in their moment. God has given you experiences. He may not have given you all those cruddy experiences that you had to walk through. No, you gave that to yourself, but God can redeem those cruddy experiences so that you can talk to somebody and say, here's how God has pulled me through this mess. And you can minister to somebody and you can say, my trial is now a testimony. You catching all this? This is how God has designed you and created you so you can serve and not have the pew sitter effect. I think what God also is teaching us is not just service over status, it's, it's character above comfort, character above comfort. Like I'm gonna be more interested in allowing God to chip away what is uh, not of him in my life. And I'm just going to say, God, you know what? I, I want character over comfort. I know it's not going to be easy. I think there's going to be some barriers for us to climb over. Let me just mention quickly three of them to you, three barriers to climb over to start developing Christ's character in your life. One is self-centeredness. Like just stop thinking about myself and start thinking about others. Like what Proverbs has to say, it gives us this advice, never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow what could be done today, what could be done now. You know how many times I'm like, let's just do it tomorrow, let's put it off tomorrow, we'll get around for tomorrow. Guess what? Tomorrow never comes. It, it never seems to happen. It's not like Annie over here and it's just a day away. It never comes. Here's the third, second barrier is perfectionism. Some of you are like, you know what, when, when my schedule opens up, I'll serve. When my money, when I get more money, I'll, I'll start to serve and help others. When I, start, when I get more energy and start feeling better, I'll start to serve. When does that ever happen? Someone, please testify. When does that ever happen? No, it just seems like it gets worse, right? 
Solomon had said, if you wait for the perfect conditions, you'll never get around to anything done. And I say, amen, Solomon. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get nothing done. So you just have to step out and say, I've been sent to serve. I've been sent to serve. Here's a third barrier that you're going to have to overcome to put character over comfort, and that is materialism. Man, this is, this is one of the hottest topics that you probably don't want me to talk about, but so many of us are working at jobs that we don't like to pay off things that we can't afford. And what's it doing? We've become a slave to the job, and it's keeping us from being a servant to the king of kings. Just lay that there. Here's the last one. I think God's teaching me, he's teaching us that we'll place we over me. Just, we're just going to start thinking outside of ourselves. We're going to get rid of the self-centeredness and, and just start thinking about other people and their problems and putting ourselves in their shoes and stop being so concerned about our welfare and start being concerned about the welfare of others. A while back, I was returning from a, a works week, week of camp, and you're like, well, that doesn't seem like too hard of a thing, camp. camp camp's terrible for me. I'm not, a, I'm not that guy. Uh, I was speaking all week. I was leading worship all week. I was the dean that week. There was uh, some crisis that week where we had to call the police in to settle some things. That's a bad week of camp, people, all right? You do not want to go to my camps. That's why I'm not a dean anymore, to be honest. Uh, we just had, it was just a tiring week. I, I stayed up too late than I should have, didn't get enough rest. I am exhausted Friday afternoon, and we're loading up the church van with all the stuff that we brought out there, all the junk, and we're just like, I'm just said, I'm going home, I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to go to sleep. And that was the only thing on my mind, only thing. But then I got a phone call from my secretary, and she says, hey, there's a guy here at the church. He wants to know if he can sleep on the picnic table for the night. I'm like, yeah, of course he can. No problem to me, right? Go for it. Sleep all you want. Sleep number setting 100 for you right there, a piece of wood. And she's like, no, 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 Matt, we need to do something about, her about that. You know what I told her? Not my problem. So I gave her some like guidelines. Like, go, call Motel. Make it their problem. See if they'll put him up. We'll pay something in it. If they'll pay something in it, we'll just get this guy off the table because we know he shouldn't be sleeping there and get this guy in a comfy bed. And she's like, okay, I guess that's what I'll do. I mean, right? That's what unsympathetic, self-seeking pastors do, right? Not my problem. Oh, you've been there. Don't look at me like this. You've been there. You've been there. <laughs> making me look like, like, you're making me feel like Scott Arms made me feel last Sunday. <laughs> You've been there. You've seen the I'll work for food sign. You've seen that guy. You've seen that guy. What's worse is you've seen that guy, and you've been at the red light, and it takes two, three, four minutes, but it seems like an eternity. He's just standing you looking there with those puppy dog eyes. <laughs> and you're acting like you don't notice. And you're rationalizing every which way you can why you should not give a dime, why you shouldn't lend a hand, why you shouldn't take him on his offer that he'll work for food and give him a job and see if he will. No, you're saying, no, he won't. I know he won't. Or you're saying, you know what? What he'll do with that money, if I give him money, just go buy some alcohol or something with it. And you've rationalized and you put it out in your mind. You're like, I got to get this, this light better turn green because I'm late for Bible study. Hurry up. And we've rationalized this before. Like, have you ever thought, because I've thought this, this is confessions of a pastor again. Why can't people just ask for help when it's convenient for me? Have you ever thought that way? Why do they want to call so late at night? Why do they want to call when I've been like already in bed with chips on my you know, chest, like I have to smash them off after I've been watching TV? Or why would, do they want my money when the money's tight? Why do they want my energy when I don't seem to have energy? 
Why do they want me involved in their life when I am tired from church camp with 200 junior hires that reeked like pigs <laughs> but now want my help? So my secretary calls me back. And she says, the motel doesn't even want him. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy must be in some pretty bad shape. She says, what do you want me to do with him? And I try to like pawn him off again. Then it hits me like a ton of bricks. Matt, this is now your problem. This has been put in your path for your problem. That God has advanced some things, some good works that you're to do. This is in your pathway this is not your secretary's problem. This is your problem. So I decide, reluctantly decide to drive to the church. And there's this guy. My secretary's gone. He is laid out on top of the picnic table. He's got a whole tent thing that he's made. He's got his clothes hung up on a string. And I'm going, boy, you really made yourself at home here, man. And I look at him and it just instantly... I go, you look like Popeye from the cartoons. And he did. He looked like Popeye. He had this big, huge forearms. And he just looked like an old sailor. And, and I said, what, what's your name? And he says in this real high-pitched voice, R.L. I thought he was putting me on. And I said, what's your name? He says, R.L. I said, okay. I said, R.L., do you have any like documentation, any ID, anything? And he pulls out a driver's license from like 22 decades ago. And it's, 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 I assure you it was the same guy, but it didn't look like the same guy. The guy in the driver's license was smiling. He was happy. He was put together. He had all of his teeth. Everything looked right. The guy who I was now seeing wasn't that way. Like life had beat him down. He said he was married but now divorced. said he had kids but can't find them anymore. I mean, just one thing after another, one hurt after the other. And I read his ID and I say out loud, I say, Newport News, Virginia? What are you doing in southern Indiana from Newport News, Virginia? And it seems like most of these guys that are traveling, drifting, they, they have a story, right? So you pay attention to the story the best you can. And, and I'm always trying to poke holes in it because I want wiggle room why I shouldn't help. He tells me the story. He's like, oh, I'm walking from Newport News to Kansas City or something like that. And I finally just like, I've had enough. You got to tell me what RL stands for. And he says, Rosie Lee. I said, Rosie Lee? Your name is Rosie? He says, yeah. Rosie Lee. I, and then he tells me. And his mom was pregnant. His mom wanted a girl. And it didn't matter if a boy or girl was coming up. The child's name was going to be... Rosie Lee. And I just joked because, you know, I'm into music and I love Johnny Cash. I said, that's like a boy named Sue. That's like a boy named Sue. And I just started singing. I said, you heard that song before? He's like, yeah. And I just started singing. My daddy left home when I was three. He joined in with me, you know, and we started to sing. He didn't leave much to his mom and me, just this old guitar, an empty bottle of booze. And the meanest thing that he ever did is he went and named me what? Yeah, but we didn't say Sue together. We just said, Rosie. And we had a good laugh. I'm like, you've heard that before, haven't you? And he said, yeah, I've heard that one before. And I decided, you know what, this guy's my problem. And so I went and I found a motel that would finally accept him. I got him in a room, and he started getting cleaned up, started taking a shower. And I thought, that, that was supposed to be my shower. I went and got him some fast food, and I brought it back. And he was all cleaned up the best he could. And we just sat on the edge of the bed there in that motel. And I did my best to try to tell him who Jesus was. And 
did my best to try to lead with the Lord. And I just was honest with him. I said, Rosie, listen, I didn't want to help you. And I'll be honest, I still don't. And, and, and you're a problem for me. And I'm struggling with bringing you help right now. But I feel like Jesus told me to bring you some help. You know what he told me? He said, I'm glad you did because you have been like Jesus to me. You know, it makes me wonder that the people we come in contact with, who we've been sent to serve, if the kingdom of God has ever been so close to them when you're in their presence, it makes me wonder if that's like as close to Jesus as they'll ever get. And I love how God can use our reluctancy. I love how God can use us in our bad attitude. I love how God can use us when we just remember this simple little thing. We have been sent to serve.